everyone. Welcome to the most accurate podcast presented by 444.com. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. Alex Gelhar is on the program tonight to help me review week 10 and to run through some of the waiver wire recommendations we have for you going into week 11. The music on today's show is a track called Aching Weights from the band Reunions off their 2017 record, also titled Aching Weights. To hear the full song and the other songs I use on my episodes, click the link in the show notes to the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify. Today's show is sponsored by Fantasy Draft, the one and only rake-free DFS site in the business. What does rake-free mean? It means that 100% of entry fees at FantasyDraft.com are paid out to the contest winners. So if you want to try them out on a seven-day trial, go to FantasyDraft.com, sign up with the promo code 444, that's the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and say goodbye to the rake. In the meantime, let's say hello to Alex Gelhar. Check out his waiver wire and Traders Alley articles over at 444.com. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Alex Gelhar. Welcome back to the show, Alejandro. How's it going, man? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's it's been a while. The uh, the seasons have changed in my uh, my home state of Wisconsin here since the last time we chatted. Uh, we got hit with a snowstorm this morning, which is uh, a little different than the weather in July. The last time I was uh, lucky enough to join your show. Yeah, I'm on a brief respite from the East Coast coldness. I am back in California on a work trip. Uh, I will be headed back to the frigid temperatures uh, next weekend, but. Uh, Looking forward to getting back home, too. Uh, but let's talk football. Let's talk about Week 10. What stood out to you, man? Because it was a pretty wild day. Yeah, I mean, aside from the big upsets, I think what stood out to me was a lot of teams kind of started to show us who they really are, or, or at least confirm that for us. You know, the the beginning of an NFL season is always wild, as we're learning so much about teams. There's surprising wins. There's teams that get hot and then cool off. But as we round out towards the back half of the season, you know, this was Week 10 we just saw. We, we kind of got confirmation for, for some of the teams, like the, the Panthers and Packers both look like pretty good teams. The Lions and Bears, not so much. The Ravens look like a front runner in the AFC, whereas the Saints maybe uh, showed signs of uh, humanity slipping to the Falcons there. And then uh, that Sunday night game, too, between the Vol- Vikings and Cowboys, excuse me, was, uh, was a great showcase that could be an NFL playoff preview and uh, sp- or NFC. And speaking of that NFC, Oh boy, the Rams, uh, starting to show us that they are not quite the same team that made it to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, that was probably the result that stood out to me the most. The, the upsets in general, you know, Tennessee over Kansas City, Atlanta over New Orleans, Miami over Indianapolis. But Pittsburgh over the Rams was one that really, it didn't catch me off guard because I saw the avenue that Pittsburgh took to victory kind of leading into that game. Like I used, I don't play a whole lot of DFS, but I used the Steelers defense in a number of lineups because you look at the strength of that team, it's their pass rush. And you look at the weakness of the Rams, it's their offensive line. There's a recipe there for success. And I'm kind of mad that I missed that as more of an overlying picture of the matchup as a whole. I focused on that one angle for which defense I wanted to use DFS, but I wasn't really put off of Jared Goff for that reason. I still thought the Rams would win the game. I picked them as such in my, uh, you know, picks against the spread article last week. So it's, it's funny, like sometimes it's, I don't want to overweight one aspect of a particular matchup, but in that case, maybe it was warranted, right? Right. I mean, and even as you said, like it, even if the Steelers got a, a bunch of sacks and had some pressures, they're still in that same range of outcomes, a very clear path for the Rams to have success. Even if Jared Goff gets sacked four or five times but drops back 50 and throws a bunch of uh, deep completions to Cooper Cup, who him getting blanked is one of the biggest surprises of uh, the weekend as well. But there, there's certainly a way to go there, so you don't have to beat yourself up. But speaking of the Steelers' defense and fantasy, both in DFS and the rest of the season, man, did they look like one of the best uh, units to have. They've got a lot of divisional games against questionable offenses coming up as well as a bunch of other cushy matchups that they could rack 
rack up points. So if you happen to be streaming the Steelers over the last couple of weeks and have them on your roster, you are in good shape. Yeah, and they've been good for a while. It's been they haven't had the matchups that necessarily look great on paper, but just based on the talent they have on that side of the ball, they're putting up points every week. Which of those underdog winners, you know, the Titans, the Falcons, the Dolphins, the Steelers, which one of those teams do you think has the best chance of keeping this up and maybe surprising more teams as the season, you know, winds down here? Well, you know, I would like to say the Steelers as we're talking about them because their defense is so good, but I have just supreme trust issues with Mason Rudolph and that mm-hmm. offense, considering they won seventeen to twelve, but uh, the defense uh, spotted them some points, so that's that's tough to buy into. But I think the Titans, they've kind of had an offensive rebirth with Ryan Tannehill under center. Uh, they're scoring a lot more points. Uh, they've been putting up multiple touchdowns in every game since he he came in there. And they have the pieces on defense to uh, you know make make enough plays to win. That's kind of what's the most impressive about their win over the Chiefs was it wasn't so sort of like the Steelers game, you know, low teens affair. They they put up 35 points, and uh, they got a good running game going with Derrick Henry and some playmakers in the passing game, uh, not up to the level of some other teams, but the, the Titans could be hanging around. They're sitting at 5-5 five and five right now, and uh, that AFC wildcard spot is wide open after what happened this week. Yep, I think Tennessee is the correct answer here. They are competent off on offense, and they have a good defense. They play well at home. They have that kind of recipe for playing simple. They they know who they are and and they play to those strengths. And I think that that's working for them now. Now, if they come up against stiffer competition, uh, maybe that won't happen until the playoffs. If Mm -hmm. they happen to make it, maybe it's a different story. But I think in the regular season, they can continue to surprise us a little bit. Now, which of the teams that got upset there do you think are the most worrisome going forward? We've talked about the Rams. So maybe of the other three teams, the Chiefs, the Saints and the Colts, uh, which which one of those teams are you most worried about going forward? Uh, well, I'm not too worried about the Saints. I kind of liken this game to what happened with uh, the Packers two weeks ago against the Chargers, where sure. confluence of a lot of things came in. Maybe we're looking past an opponent. Plus, in this case, it was a divisional rival. So I think the Saints, maybe this game showed some of their limitations, as we saw late down last season with Drew Brees not being able to throw deep quite as well as he did when he was on the other side of 40 years old. But I think for me, I'd be more worried about the Colts. They're just an injury-rattled team right now, and uh, without consistency and a playmaking ability under center from Jacoby Brissett they just completely fell apart uh you know Hoyer was not able to get the job done and even though that AFC wildcard spot like we were talking about is wide open I think the Colts really need to get healthy and and catch fire here in what is a tough division though with the Titans and the Texans at the top and the Jaguars getting Nick Foles back so it's a lot of question marks around that Colts team right now yeah, I agree. Brian Hoyer is definitely a liability. It's not good when the Chad Kelly rumors start to swirl a little bit on Monday. <laughs> Unless you're a part of the Chad Kelly hive on Twitter, then those uh, rumors are, are good. But Well, I mean, we like to speak our minds, Alex, when it comes to Chad <laughs> Kelly. Uh, yes. Let's get to Booms of the Week. Which fantasy starters for you made the biggest or most unexpected positive impact on your teams? I mean, I think uh, Christian Kirk's explosion, even though I was on the wrong side of it in uh, one of my most important leagues, was uh, was quite impressive. was good to see him back fully healthy in that offense and uh, giving uh, Kyler Murray the type of downfield number one option threat that he needed uh, in the offense. I thought that was that was really great to see and uh, good to have him back and healthy. Uh, also, I mean, would be uh, remiss without mentioning Aaron Jones uh, for the Packers having yet another 13 touchdown game and just uh, <laughs> trading the touchdown lead with uh, Christian McCaffrey back and forth in that game among running backs was uh, was quite impressive. Uh, and in the same game, good to see DJ Moore get on track for the Panthers and Devonta Adams come back and have the type of game we had been expecting and hoping for all season uh, before it got derailed by that turf toe injury for him. Over under 0.5 touchdowns the rest of the season for DJ Moore. 
Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to say over. I think uh, Kyle Allen showed some metal and uh, that Panthers offense uh, can make some plays. Good matchup coming up this week. Yeah, he's had some bad luck uh, in the touchdown department. Yeah, somebody who did not have bad luck yesterday in the touchdown department. On, on top of Christian Kirk, Darius Slayton for the Giants just had a huge game. 14 targets, 10 catches. Uh, I think he did he have two touchdowns or three touchdowns. He had a monster game. He had two in the, in this game. And actually, he was somebody I was definitely going to highlight in the waiver wire section, but we can jump the gun a little early here. Uh, he has kind of was building up this uh, to this type of game. He had been playing over 84% of the snaps in five straight games, even eclipsing 90% in most of those games with Sterling Shepard on the sideline. And he had uh, kind of caught uh, Daniel Jones's eye, had had a few touchdowns already for him. So this level of production was a surprise, but it wasn't surprising to see Slayton put together a big, complete game. And uh, he has a real, real nice secondary schedule coming up down the stretch with the Eagles, Dolphins, uh, Redskins, and even the Packers uh, coming up starting in Week 13. Yeah, it's not very often that we get a wide receiver waiver pickup like this from this late in the year. Typically, wide receivers don't come out of nowhere to deliver, you know, in a big way over multiple weeks. But Slayton does seem to be lining up for that, and he's definitely going to headline our waiver wire section when we get there. But uh, let's do one more boom of the week, Alex. Which Week Ten benching did you regret the most, and what do you think you missed with that player? Uh, well, one of the plays I uh, players I benched and and uh, faded who didn't have a, a monster game but had some good success was Curtis Samuel as well. Uh, one of those situations where I probably bought a little bit too much into the the injury news leading up to it. He got cleared and was good to go, and then he produced a, a decent game against the Packers. He found the end zone, but it was one of those situations where you know with the bye week apocalypse on us last week with six teams on buys. That flex spot was was a big question mark and, uh, and probably should have trusted a player like Curtis Samuel against a Packers defense that had given up a ton of big plays to find some space and get into the end zone over uh, some of the other options I had on rosters. Yeah, for me, it was Kenny Galladay. I just had a lot of fear of Jeff Driscoll being under center for the Lions and Galladay didn't you know do a whole lot volume wise. He only had three catches for 57 yards. It just so happens that one of those catches went for a touchdown, although he did have nine targets. That's good to see if you're a Galladay owner that you're going to get that volume from him going forward, even if Stafford isn't throwing him the ball. But yeah, Galladay, I ended up benching for David Johnson, and this translates or, or transitions very well into our bust of the week. Uh, the players who disappointed us the most or had the biggest unexpected negative impacts on our rosters. Uh, David Johnson's top of the list for me. I could have had Galladay over him. I also could have flexed Jameson Crowder over him. So, man, uh, that was just that was a really rough go of it for David Johnson. He does not look right. Uh, I watched some of the the replay of that game today and uh, not not really excited about him going forward. I'm I'm even wondering if he's droppable. Like, where do you stand on David Johnson at this point, Alex? I don't think he's droppable, uh, but I'm certainly concerned, and he's not a every-week plug-and-play option as he had been to start the season, especially given how well um, Chase Edmonds played in brief relief and how quickly uh, and fully they've integrated Kenyon Drake into the into the offense. It's it's become much more of a, a dreaded committee, and Johnson honestly looks like one of the lowest options in that one because I think the injuries are just taking their toll on him right now. He did not look explosive or decisive to me on Sunday. Yeah, I'm worried about him. Who was your bust of the week? Oh, man, for me, it was uh, Saquon Barkley. I uh, I lost an important matchup by four points because Saquon Barkley managed just one yard on 13 rush attempts, which is kind of absurd when you look at that score of that Giants-Jets game of 27 to 34 and Saquon Barkley coming away with 8.1 PPR points in a game that saw over 60 points put up. I just uh, I'm blown away by that. So that was that was unfortunate. And I think it's a a sign that we may have to reassess Barkley a little bit moving forward. There were some questions about his health in this game, uh, and he kind of dismissed them afterwards. So we'll have to monitor that 
moving forward. But uh, I wouldn't doubt Barkley, given his uh, his athletic freak of nature status and how quickly he's already come back from an injury once this year. But that was that one certainly hurt. Yeah, but I mean, that's got to be part of the concern, right? He came back so fast from that injury. Like, do we really trust that he was even 100% going into that first game he was back, let alone this game? The NFL season wears on you. And if you get hurt and you come back too soon, that is a recipe for disaster in my mind. I'm like you, I'm concerned about him going forward and maybe not to the level of David Johnson, but Barkley was also on my list as potential busts. I just couldn't resist the segue from Galladay to Johnson because I benched D, or I benched Galladay specifically for DJ. Now, yep. which player's poor performance from Week 10 do you think makes them a good potential buy low option leading into Week 11, uh, assuming that there are some still some people out there who have not hit their trade deadline yet? You know, one player that I would have circled, um, he's kind of struggled for a few weeks now with the situations going around his team, but is, uh, is Stefan Diggs. Hmm. He uh, had another lower week. Um, he's kind of fallen by the wayside with with Adam Thielen out. And, you know, we saw on Sunday night that Kyle Rudolph caught, mul- caught multiple touchdowns and the Vikings are finding other ways to get it done. But somebody could be fed up with Diggs and he's the type of player, especially with some of the games the Vikings have teed up on their back half of the schedule um, who could really be relied upon by that offense and produce some big numbers as, as we've seen in the past. So he's, he's a guy I'd have circled for a potential buy low candidate, uh, especially if you're on a team that could use some help at wide receiver. Yeah, I, I do feel like wide receiver is the most easy to find by low type candidates because it's such a high variance position week to week. And so for me, it's going to be Chris Godwin, no touchdowns since week five uh, over the past you know few weeks since then he had 12 targets, a buy eight targets, nine targets and 12 targets. So the volumes there, but he hasn't topped 11 fantasy points in half point PPR in any of those last three games, you know, all the games since the buy, you could go to the owner of Godwin and say, Hey, look like this is Mike Evans passing offense and maybe see if you can get Godwin at a bit of a discount. But I don't know. It's it's kind of hard for me to imagine prying some of these players away sometimes. Like, yeah. do you think fantasy owners are too smart for this sort of buy low sort of nonsense anymore? I think some fantasy owners are too smart, and uh, some guys get too attached to their their teams. You know, the the guys you you drafted or you've picked up on the waiver wire who have been carrying you there. It's it's hard to say goodbye sometimes. So. It's a matter of finding the right owner in your league, making the right offer. I know uh, a couple of the leagues I'm in, trades trades rarely happen, I think. And it's also because the, the leagues are competitive and people are uh, afraid of being coming out on the wrong side of the trade. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, for me, I look at those, I, I l- rattled off the target numbers for Godwin, right? Mm-hmm. And or if I'm a relatively competitive fantasy owner, I'm going to be looking at that stuff before I look at what the actual points I don't think I'm unique in that way. I feel like this is pretty common knowledge. All the game logs that you look at now have target numbers. So right. I think I think we're smarter than this. But So maybe I'm, I'm just giving bad advice and we should move on. <laughs> no, I think I think you are right, though, quick. Like uh, the game and the, you know, the average player have progressed so much in the last several years, even in fantasy. It's it's really tremendous to see it to see it blowing up in this way and uh, have people be as savvy as they are now and looking at things like volume uh over over the raw box score and playing time and snap percentage and where they're lining up and stuff like you know years ago when i was starting to play fantasy that nobody was even considering that stuff and now it's almost commonplace so really really makes uh finding those good trading opportunities and getting somebody willing to get one with you uh more of a winning edge so where do you think the edges are then if we can except that the average fantasy player is better now. Do you think that there are still areas of you know expertise or information that are overlooked or, or underutilized? Uh, are, are there edges out there still to be gained, do you think? And maybe give an example of one of those. 
Well, I think one of the edges is, uh, and this is more of just a general kind of like game theory negotiating thing, but because everybody is savvier, you can't get away with throwing out low ball offers. You really have to kind of look at other teams' needs and find a trade that could be mutually beneficial for both of you, but you hope ends up favoring you. You know, identifying rosters that have weaknesses, maybe that align with the strength of your roster so you can flip for a, a higher upside piece or a better thing like that. The the days of just being able to, to throw out a guy who, like you mentioned, had a had a string of poor performances in a row and getting somebody to, to bite on it in some sort of trade uh, are probably gone. You really got to really got to work the negotiating negotiating table a little more and uh, and find a deal that kind of works for both people but hopefully favors you. Yeah, when it comes to trading, I think that's spot on. You really have to put yourself in the mind of your potential trade partners and say, if I were running this team, what would I be looking to do? Like, how would I want to trade to improve my team? And then you have to make sure that that potential trade partner lines up with what you have to offer that person. And it's yeah, yeah really important to kind of line that stuff up. Uh, let's keep going. Let's talk about the key injuries from week 10. And let's save the injuries to Devonta Freeman, Trey Burton, and Ty Johnson. Uh, one of these things is not like the other, but let's save mm-hmm. those guys for the waiver section because really when we're looking at those players, we're looking at their backups. But I want to talk first about Matthew Stafford. The aforementioned Lions quarterback uh, couldn't even play in Week 10. Jeff Driscoll ended up starting. I have a feeling this is going to be more than a single week injury for Stafford just because it's a broken back. <laughs> that, that seems like a bad thing. I don't know if you should be playing quarterback in uh, a division that's as competitive as the NFC North. Like I just don't see the Lions coming out of that division with the playoff spot. And with that in mind, I expect Stafford to miss significant time, if not the rest of the season. In any case, what do you think this does to Detroit's receivers? Because I mentioned how I was afraid of Galladay going into week 10. He turned out to be okay, but he still wasn't performing at the level he would have with Stafford, right? So how are you adjusting your evaluation of that receiving core? I think I, you know, the the trade deadline for fantasy is a li- is a week or two away still in most leagues. So I think I would play, take a wait and see approach with the Lions wide receivers. Like you mentioned, the volume was there for Galladay. The Bears defense is still pretty good. It's not the same world beating unit we saw last year. So kind of want to wait, see if this team adjusts, and wait to see what the news is on Matthew Stafford. Because as you mentioned, I mean, the Lions now losing on Sunday slipped to three five and one. So. Their odds of winning the NFC North with the Packers at eight and two and the Vikings at seven and three are extremely slim. And it's one of those cases where if the season is largely going to be lost from a postseason standpoint, I think that starts to tip the scales in terms of shutting a player like Matthew Stafford down. But on the flip side, as you mentioned, it is a broken back, which sounds extreme, like an extremely serious injury. But a number of quarterbacks have played through similar injuries if it's not one that actually inhibits movement and isn't a bigger risk to the player. Uh, Tony Romo comes to mind from several years ago. And I think, uh, didn't Cam Newton maybe recently, but uh, Romo for sure. So I think right now that the move is to just hold tight. You know, maybe there's vulture swirling looking to pick up Kenny Galladay or something or uh, of things of that nature. But I think the move is just, just hold Pat for a week and get, get some more data and a better assessment of the situation before making any drastic moves. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not necessarily saying he couldn't play through the injury. I think he was already playing through it to some extent. This is something that dates back to the preseason. We knew that Stafford played hurt last year because of this, and Mm -hmm. it was always going to be a management thing going through the season. Maybe he only needs to miss one game, but I'm just saying considering how the Lions appear to be out of contention for the most part. I mean, they're 3-5-1, and so yes, they're still technically alive for the playoffs, but the Packers and the Vikings are pacing that division. I just don't know if there's a whole lot of incentive for them to keep pushing Stafford to play in what might ultimately end up being not a lost season, but a season that you know doesn't result in a playoff burst. So I don't know. Let's let's move on. Um, Austin Hooper injured his knee, 
and expected to miss some time here. Luke Stalker is Atlanta's backup tight end. I don't think we need to have a whole lot of interest in Luke Stalker. But what does this do for the rest of the pieces of that offense in your mind? Uh, does this elevate Calvin Ridley? We, you know, I mentioned earlier that Devonta Freeman is hurt. I feel like there's some stock up, stock down here stuff that we need to sort through with the Falcons. There's going to be a target void now with Hooper out of there because uh, I've, unless it changed over last week, he was second on the team in targets, if not even closer to Julio Jones. But I think the bigger beneficiary out of this, rather than Luke Stocker, and especially with Devonta Freeman out, will be Brian Hill, the replacement running back, and Russell Gage, who has quietly been kind of sliding into the role left by Mohamed Sanu when they traded him out. He's seen 14 targets over the past two weeks, only managed 81 yards and 11 catches on those, but he could kind of turn into that chain-moving option that Austin Hooper was, albeit in a slightly different role because he's not a large tight end. But I I would expect the targets to kind of get divvied out. I don't think anybody's going to step up and assume Hooper's workload. Um, So as you mentioned, Stocker's not a great pickup. But uh, wouldn't move the needle for a ton of people, but it does give me a little more intrigue into targeting somebody like Russell Gage off the waiver wire, who's currently only owned in about 2% of Yahoo leagues. Does the knee injury to Giovanni Bernard give you any sort of actionable stuff to do uh, with Bengals players? Like, are you maybe trying to buy low on Joe Mixon because his volume might tick back up or are the Bengals such a mess that you are probably just going to stay away from this? Does Bernard's injury impact that at all for you? Uh, Bernard's injury hasn't weighed a single iota on my thinking since, <laughs> since it happened with the Bengals. Uh, you know, he was mixing it a little bit, but not a ton. And I don't think any sort of volume bump that Joe Mixon might see from Bernard being injured is significant enough to make me want to buy low on him with that Bengals team and just to complete and utter disarray. Cool. Let's talk about some other injuries to non-fantasy players, but that are going to impact uh, you know the fantasy outlook for their teams. We mentioned how bad the Rams' offensive line has been. Their center, Brian Allen, has an MCL, MCL injury. It sounds like he's going to be out for the rest of the year, and that offensive line was already a liability. Am I overreacting to say I just don't really want to be investing in the Rams' offense in a meaningful way? I mean, there, there are a few pieces there that are still interesting, but this team seems like a mess to me. Yeah, this is a a real big concern because uh, the offensive line was one of the key reasons that helped Jared Goff have so much success over the past couple years. Uh, And even their right tackle, Rob Havenstein, is is week to week now. So it's it's a real rough situation. I think the biggest uh, loss is for the backfield. You know, Gurley is going to be much more of a situational based play. Um, He's can't he's probably not going to be a locked in week to week starter. It's going to be a case where if you have somebody you think might have more upside you're probably going to want to start them over Gurley but the only players I would I have you know reasonable amounts of trust in are are Cooper Cup I would imagine he bounces back after his disastrous game this past weekend and uh, Gerald Everett who's been uh, kind of a surprising contributor for them at tight end and uh, a a bit of a bright spot in the otherwise uh, dumpster fire of the tight end position in fantasy I think Everett logged uh, eight for 68 I think this past weekend so uh, he's certainly somebody to watch there and uh has been a nice outlet for Jared Goff with with all the extra pressure he's been facing. How many tight ends are you taking over Everett rest of season? Because I agree, he's definitely moved up in my estimation. And I mean, he's, he feels like a top 10 guy now, but I'm wondering if maybe I'm even too low on him saying that. Are we thinking top six, top seven here? What's the list for you, Alex? Uh, Overall guys. I mean, there's, there's the big names up there, but I think, I think Everett's right in that mix of the, uh, Kind of the next crop of, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out the nicest way to put it, but the, the non-elite guys, but the streamers you've been you've been comfortable with. So, like, think of, like, a Darren Fells. He was on his bias, as people for, might have forgotten about him. But Fells scored, I think, five touchdowns in five weeks there and was is a, a top ten tight end, I believe, right now. But uh, Everett's a guy who I think might have more upside of contributing week to week without 
requiring a touchdown. I'd rather have Everett than a guy like Jimmy Graham, for instance, on the Packers, or uh, uh, Kyle Rudolph, despite his two touchdowns this past week. So I think I think the volume and the, the consistency with the receptions and yards, especially in PPR and half-point PPR leagues, make uh, Everett one of the, the higher upside side guys in that tier of tight ends. Yeah, I think the point is that he belongs in that discussion, despite not really having the name recognition of guys like Rudolph and like Jimmy Graham. A um, couple more injuries to note here on the defensive side of the ball. A couple cornerbacks. Marshawn Lattimore injured his hamstring. He's week to week. Patrick Peterson on the Cardinals injured his calf. I don't know how much the Peterson injury matters too much because it's not like he was playing lights out in the first place. But Lattimore's is a big deal for the Saints defense. I think it really softens up matchups for opposing receivers against New Orleans. I don't think there's a whole lot else to say about these, but do you have anything to add on Lattimore and P- or Peterson? No, I think you're, you're spot on with those. Um, I mean, the, the Cardinals, especially before Patrick Peterson came back, were just getting carved up through the air. So if he misses any significant amount of time, that's certainly going to be a boost to the, the primary receivers and the kind of like ancillary options and whoever's going against them while Peterson's out. And then it, you're spot on with Lattimore, too. He's been a guy that has been able to, to shadow and shut down a lot of top receivers, which has made – usually it wasn't a case to – it wasn't to the point where – I or I think anybody else was truly sitting an elite receiver because they were going to go up against Marshawn Lattimore, but it'll certainly make you feel better uh, if they have to face the Saints while Marshawn Lattimore is on the shelf. We're going to dig into the waiver wire in just a minute, but first let's take a break for the sponsor of the show. It's Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business. They're running the largest rake-free contest out there each and every week, and all told, Fantasy Draft is going to pay out millions of dollars in prizes over the course of this season, and all of those winnings are rake-free. That's right, Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools, and this isn't just a limited promotion. While other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, squeeze the prize pools, and make it harder for players like you to win, Fantasy Draft's contests remain rake-free. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444, and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in prizes this season. Start playing rake-free at FantasyDraft.com today. All right, Alex, week 11 waivers time. There are four teams on by this week. Green Bay, the New York Giants, Seattle, and Tennessee. Does anything in particular stand out to you about those teams relative to you know other bye weeks? Or uh, do you want to just get right into uh, the position-by-position recommendations here? Well, I think one of the things to note, especially given, as we kind of touched on earlier, the injuries to the quarterback position of late with Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, to a certain extent, even Daniel Jones and Ryan Tannehill, who have been streamers uh, in recent weeks. It's really putting pressure on people who may have lost one of those quarterbacks to find uh, a replacement. But I think there is some help on the waiver wire if we just want to dive right into quarter to quarterback. Yeah, let's start there. And uh, from a two quarterback perspective, I'm, I'm biased. So I always lean this way. There aren't a whole lot of potential pickups here because Matthew Stafford was injured ahead of kickoff on Sunday, Jeff Driscoll would have been picked up in a lot of two quarterback formats. He might still be out there in some two QB leagues, but otherwise I don't think there are a whole lot of potential two QB options out there. Uh, Maybe you want to speculate on Chad Kelly. I do not want to do that, even as much of a a Kelly uh, truther or apologist as I might be. Uh, So let's just jump right into the one quarterback streaming considerations here. Who jumps out to you? Uh, the, The only guy I want to rule out is Derek Carr because he's too easy. You can't use Derek Carr. He's playing against the Bengals at home and he's 45% owned. So uh, chances yep. are Carr's only going to be out there in a few leagues. Outside of him, who stands out to you at the quarterback position? Well, Nick Foles still, despite being named the starter over the over Jacksonville's bye week, 
is only owned last I checked at about 19% of Yahoo leagues. So he's going to be available in a fair amount of leagues. Uh, and they travel to face, uh, Indianapolis this coming weekend, which isn't the greatest matchup on paper, but we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick and his banged up Dolphins offense have some success moving the ball against them. But down the stretch, picking up foals right now, especially if you're, you're, you've lost your starting quarterback, faces the Buccaneers, the Raiders, and the Falcons during the fantasy playoffs and around that period. So if foals can kind of come in and hit the ground running, we know he's got some weapons around him with DJ Chark and Chris Conley and D.D. Westbrook. Uh, I think he could be have a really solid close to the season here. Speaking of the Falcons and how good of a matchup that is, I like Kyle Allen as a streamer in Week 11. He gets Atlanta this week, and I love the receivers that he has there. I'm not really interested in using Kyle Allen in a moderate to tough matchup, but here against the Falcons, it seems like a pretty easy streamable option. Do you agree? No, I actually, I absolutely agree. He was on my list of, of uh, streaming pickups uh, to make this week for uh, quarterbacks. Uh, the only other one I had ranked slightly ahead of him was actually Sam Darnold. I'm curious to know what you think about this. Uh, Darnold had had a couple of cushy matchups and uh, failed to take advantage of them. But on Sunday against the Giants, uh, he completed a bunch of passes. Uh, he rushed for a touchdown as well. And next up on the slate for him is the Washington Redskins secondary. A very, very exploitable matchup. So I think Darnold might have a higher ceiling than Allen in uh, in that game against the Falcons, especially with how much Allen's offense runs through Christian McCaffrey. But uh, curious to hear what you think in terms of those two streaming choices. No, totally agree. Those are the three guys I have highlighted on my list. I have some other names here that we could talk about. But yeah, the, the three that I would look for first after Derek Carr are Darnold, Foles, and Allen. I might slightly prefer Allen to Darnold, if only because I feel like the Falcons can keep up a little bit better than Washington can on offense. So that gives Mm -hmm. you a little bit more potential for a shootout with Kyle Allen. I like that. The downside with Allen is that you might just end up getting a whole lot of Christian McCaffrey and not a whole lot of passing. So there is that kind of push and pull with using Allen, but I think I would still use him over Darnold. Uh, Really, the the thing about Darnold is that he burned me so many weeks when I recommended him in this part of the podcast that I'm just scarred for life. No, I understand. Week 10 was his first game of the year with 20-plus fantasy points, which is absurd when he's in an offense with a supposed offensive mastermind, Adam Gase, and has had a number of uh, matchups he should have been able to produce in. So I totally, totally understand the concern with Darnold. I just think uh, trying to trust uh, the process in the matchup here. So I'm, I'm favoring him slightly over Allen. So if we have listeners out there who are in really, really deep leagues and maybe you're looking for a streamer, I'm going to go to five guys here who are under 12% owned on Yahoo. And you tell me which one you like the most. All right, let's do it. Mason Rudolph at Cleveland, Ryan Finley at Oakland, Dwayne Haskins versus New York Jets, Brandon Allen at Minnesota, or the Ryan Fitzpatrick revenge game versus Buffalo. <laughs> well, I mean, every week is a Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, revenge game, so that's that's not really fair. That's a to fair say. point. That's a fair point. Um. Oh, but man, that is tough. I think, you know, I was really impressed with how Brandon Allen played in his first game, but going on the road into Minnesota, that is just an absolute recipe for disaster. Yes. Um, I think my favorite of those would be Mason Rudolph. And even though I kind of disparaged him earlier in the game, uh, earlier in the podcast, rather, those Thursday night games can get weird sometimes. And it's a division matchup against the Browns. He's got some young, talented pass catchers around him. Maybe he chucks up enough YOLO balls to, to put it together. I uh, And especially with his running game, I, I don't think James Conner is going to be back yet, but... Uh, if his running game is still stuck in the mud, they're going to have to throw it more. So I, I guess I would lean Rudolph, but uh, that is a that is a precarious list to pick from there. Yeah, for me, Rudolph and Finley are both pretty close. I wouldn't want to use either of them, but I think 
either of those guys is a, a fair answer to this question. Let's move on to running back, though. Who's standing out to you at under 50% ownership uh, at the RB position? I mean, there's really only one player worth truly targeting this week in running back, and that's Brian Hill. As we mentioned, Devonta Freeman, the report seemed to suggest he's going to be out for two weeks at least, and Ito Smith already landed on injured reserve, so it's pretty much going to be the Brian Hill show, and he showed uh, he can handle a large workload. He had 20 carries on Sunday, only got 61 yards against that tough Saints front, but he also added a receiving touchdown on his two targets. Freeman had been averaging five targets a game, too, so there's a nice receiving floor for Hill in that we can imagine in uh, in Freeman's absence. So he's he's really the main guy. A couple more that do stand out to me, and, and one of them's kind of cheating. It's Darius Geis. He's at 37% ownership, but I think in competitive formats, he is going to be owned. If he's still out there, would you rather have Geis or Brian Hill? Oh, I'd much rather have Brian Hill, even if I only get him for two weeks. My, I, I love Darius Geis, and I'm rooting for him for a comeback, but he's coming back onto a team from that's not very good after a serious injury. And the uh, Redskins have only averaged 47 plays per game since Bill Callahan took over as the interim head coach. That is not a lot of opportunity in general, much less for somebody who could be splitting carries with Adrian Peterson still and might get some receiving work vultured by Chris Thompson. I I love Geis as an individual and a player, but I just really am not thrilled about his outlook in fantasy. I think another player you can look at here is J.D. McKissick, 21% ownership. Ty Johnson in that same backfield had a concussion in Week 10. He might be able to come back for Week 11. We'll have to wait and see. But I think in the meantime, it's okay to to, uh, speculate on J.D. McKissick a little bit, especially if you're in a PPR format where uh, those receptions that he can rack up might be uh, a little bit more prominent with a backup quarterback potentially replacing Stafford. Yeah, if Driscoll stays in, then I feel I'd feel a little bit better about McKissick as like a low four PPR, low floor PPR play because exactly as you said, that he's going to probably be more prone to check it down than Stafford would, who we know loves to throw it deep. You know, in a lot of these leagues too, at this time of the year, I'd almost rather roster a a handcuff to a workhorse uh, than some of these lower tiered guys, as long as I wasn't in desperate need of a starter. Rather rather have that upside if if like a Mark Ingram or a McCaffrey or Fournette goes down to have one of their top backups on my team instead. Yeah, and that's kind of the the never-ending refrain in this part of the podcast is you can always pick up the handcuffs. Darrell Henderson, yep. Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, Gus Edwards. Those guys are out exactly. there in you know one form or another. You can always go after those types of players. The only other running backs I want to ask you about, Alex, are Daryl Williams and Darwin Thompson for the Chiefs. LaShawn McCoy was surprisingly healthy and active in week 10 they said it was for rest purposes and i i kind of buy that actually with mccoy so this might all be a moot discussion but because damian williams fumbled in that game because the chiefs lost with him being the primary ball carrier do you see potentially more work for direct for daryl williams or darwin thompson going forward I'm not overly optimistic about either, but if I were to pick one, it would be uh, Daryl Williams because we've seen him flash a little bit already this year. It seems like he has more of the trust of Andy Reid. Darwin Thompson might, I mean, as fun as he was as an August fever dream of the fantasy community, seems more like a guy that might be a next year or later uh, producer for the Chiefs offense. So if I was to pick between one of those two, it would be Williams. How about a wide receiver? Who are you looking at there? Well, you know, we already talked about the the clear <laughs> top choice this week in Darius Slayton. But one, I think, uh, underrated wide receiver that I wrote up in the waiver wire watch on 4 for 4 was Demarius Thomas. He's only owned in about, at least as of the writing of my column, 8% of Yahoo leagues. And coinciding with Robbie Anderson going on a milk cart in these last few weeks has (laughs) been uh, Thomas. He popped up with nine targets this past week against the Giants, caught six for 84. And this was the third time in his last four games where he's seen five-plus targets. Uh, The reason I kind of like Demarius Thomas as a sneaky waiver wire ad this week also is the Jets' upcoming schedule is just 
ripe with uh, soft secondaries. Their next four opponents are, as we already mentioned, Washington. Then they get the Raiders, the Bengals, and the Dolphins. So those are three teams that the Jets should be able to throw the ball on. And if Thomas kind of has, in fact, supplanted Robbie Anderson here as the number two option in this passing attack, uh, he could have a nice little fantasy run over the stretch. So do you think he's really supplanted him, or is this more just Adam Gase being Adam Gase? Because we've seen this treatment with Gase and receivers in the past in Miami. I feel like we're just pouring it over to the Jets this year. That, that's my primary concern with Thomas. I think that's certainly a fair concern, but with Thomas being so low-owned and you know having that nice matchup stretch, I think it's worth at least a speculative ad if you're trying to find some trying to find some uh, some upside at the wide receiver position. Now you mentioned that upcoming schedule for the Jets, and we can tie that back to the discussion we had about Sam Darnold at quarterback. Another quarterback that you hyped up in that same way was Nick Foles right with the Jaguars and one of his receivers I really like off the waiver wire this week is Chris Conley only 14% owned on Yahoo and before Foles went down to injury Conley was getting a lot of hype as the guy that Foles brought in specifically to be in that offense he's got seven targets I think three weeks in a row and that's without Foles so now that Foles is back into the mix uh, D.D. Westbrook is a little bit dinged up. I don't know if Westbrook is going to play in Week 11. That's something we'll have to wait and see on. But I think Conley has some sneaky appeal as well. What do you think? Yeah, I wrote Conley up. Uh, wanted to kind of see what happened with that uh, Jaguars passing attack once Foles was back in there. Um, but you're right. He, he's had the volume, uh, even though he only managed two catches for two, 32 yards in that last game they had against the Texans in London. But you got to like Conley's, uh, you know, his size, his speed. And as you mentioned, the, the kind of offseason narrative of Foles bringing him in. So I, I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, Foles can be a nice boom for this passing attack again after it kind of uh, slid into the tank during the end of Minshew Mania there. So Conley is certainly a sneaky add, too, because especially coming off the double whammy of disappointing outing in, in an island game, basically, even though it was early morning, followed by the bye, a lot of people are probably sleeping on some of these Jags players. And Conley is a great pickup this week ahead of uh, any potential breakout game he has or, or even if he disappoints with Foles. Any other wideouts here catching your eye? Well, one guy I want to just give a little uh, – two guys I want to give quick nods to. One is is Hunter Renfro. In in deeper leagues, I think he's a so- – especially PPR or half PPR. I think he's a solid uh, a low floor ad here. Um, the Raiders are just – are desperate after you know losing Antonio Brown and that whole saga. Four playmakers on the outside, and it took Renfro a while to kind of get into the offense. But over the last three weeks, he's gone four for 42 – four for 88 in a touchdown and six for 54 in a touchdown. And he's averaging just he's seeing just under 18, 19% of Derek Carr's targets in that span. So I think he's, he's a solid little wide receiver three, maybe flex play in those PPR formats and another name to circle. And this could be a good week to grab him as the Packers head into their bye is Alan Lazard. I think he's kind of quietly overtaken uh, the rest of the guys on that roster that, you know, the much ballyhooed uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling in the off season to be the, the number two option behind Devonte Adams. This week, he only went three for 27 on six targets, but he was wide open for a touchdown. Rodgers overshot him, and he had another catch that was ruled incomplete because we don't know what a catch is in the NFL. <laughs> um, but he had had a nice little run, too, of, of posting like three or four catches, 50 to 60 yards a week, and, and has that touchdown upside. So uh, the Packers have a couple of tough games down their stretch, some ones that could be high scoring. And I think Lazard is a name to circle as Rodgers has been pushing for him to get more playing time. And coming out of the bye, that could just be the case. Yeah, the big question right now with wide receivers is which one or which few of these 
kind of tertiary players or young players is going to start to figure it out and put it together for these final few games. I think the guys you've brought up uh, make a lot of sense. I think you could also look to the Steelers guys, De- Deontay Johnson, James Washington. He's, you know, after looking terrible for the first half of the season, seems like he's starting to figure it out a little bit. He's had a couple decent games in a row. Josh Reynolds looks okay, a lot better than he did last year. Brandon Cooks continues to miss time. I don't know if I would bank on that. Uh, Taylor Gabriel's back from injury. He's not really coming out of nowhere. We know who he <laughs> is. But yeah. I, I, I do like that Gabriel, if you are speculating on one of these low ownership type of players, you might as well go after someone with that splash play upside like Gabriel, right? Someone who might not get a ton of targets. I mean, all the guys who get the most targets are already owned, right? So if you're going right. after these guys who are only you know a smaller part of their offense, like Lazard, like Hunter Renfro, like Taylor Gabriel, I like the fact that Gabriel has that ability to take any ball to the house, you know, if, if the play breaks the right way. Um, so I think that's something you can look for with these low ownership guys. What do you think? No, I think that's a good way to target it too, especially because when they're when they're fighting for targets, you you want them to be high valued targets. You want them to be a a red zone threat or somebody that's seen a lot of air yards. Which was that you know mentioned Marquez Valdez Scantling. That was kind of the appeal with him, is he was going to be the Packers' deep threat, but he's only getting one or two targets a game. Uh, I do like the Steelers wide receivers as you mentioned. The only problem is just you know the crapshoot of how Mason Rudolph is going to play and if he's going to give his receivers catchable targets, because that's been a bit of the, the whack-a-mole with them these, these last few weeks is last week, Deontay Johnson had the better targets to catch and had a really good game. And then this week it was James Washington. So next week, maybe it's a Juju week. Maybe uh, it's a Vance McDonald week. Who knows? But uh, those guys certainly have uh, the, the ability and, and talent and youth on their side that makes them appealing options in fantasy. So would you rather pick up one of those Steelers receivers or would you rather pick up Russell Gage, the aforementioned wide receiver in Atlanta um, who has competent quarterback play in theory for Matt Ryan? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I think it, it, it's, you know, it's a bit of a cop out, but it's going to depend on the situation. If I'm in, if I have a team built up where I'm going to just need a consistent contribution and, and I'll be happy with nine points in, in a PPR league from them, if it's a deeper league, then I'll probably go gauge. But I think I, I normally it would tend to, especially with these type of players and in this type of spot, chase the upside. So I'd rather go with uh, Deontay Johnson or Washington. Fair enough. Uh, let's talk tight ends. Who, who are you looking at here off the waiver wire? Well, I think the top guy this week, and he's playing right now, so this could all come crashing down, is, is Jacob Hollister. The Seahawks had been had been uh, throwing to their tight ends quite a lot and had turned Will Disley into a, a star before he got injured. And then uh, Hollister popped up with uh, two touchdowns last week, had a 14% target share. That's really encouraging about him. Um, we mentioned Darren Fells earlier, too. I think coming off the bye, he got dropped in a lot of leagues. He's still owned in 43%, so somebody could be hanging on to him, but... He has nine red zone targets, and he's caught eight of them and scored six times. And uh, he's a perfect four for four on touchdowns off of his targets inside the 10-yard line. So, uh, you know, a lot of times at tight end, all we're looking for is is a touchdown, and, and Fells is, is a good one for that. Yeah, I like the Hollister call, too. The only caveat with him is that they are run by in Week 11. So if you're picking up mm-hmm. Hollister, it's not for later in the year. What about O.J. Howard? Are you buying the bounce back? It did come against the Cardinals, so I think we have to take it with a small grain of salt, right? Yeah, it, it came against the Cardinals, so there's that historic uh, tight ends always producing against the Cardinals matchup, as uh, I think you're alluding to there. Um, but Howard did see a season-high seven targets, so that is slightly encouraging. However, I'm going to you know, slide back to the, the long history Bruce Arians has had of not really utilizing tight ends in his offense, so not not totally buying A.J. Howard, but I mean, the guy's so talented in that Bucks offense can put up points. I think he's still a fine pickup if he's been dropped in your league. 
Yeah, it does feel like there are a lot of these tight ends that are in that middle of the road ownership between like 45% owned and 30% owned that kind of all have that weekly touchdown upside. But, you know, picking and choosing when that's going to happen or or when a guy's going to go for two TDs like Kyle Rudolph did, I I don't know how you sort through this stuff. Like if you're looking at Darren Fells or OJ Howard or Kyle Rudolph or uh, even like Dallas Goddard, Noah Fant, like how do you break ties between these different players if you're trying to pick up a tight end? Uh, I think it depends on a couple things. Um, the, the matchup can certainly play into effect. Like if it's a game that's going to have a high over-under and uh, we think that it's going to be a high-scoring affair, that certainly increases the overall scoring potential for the offense and could allow one of those tight ends to get in there. Usage and target share are certainly something to look at. Uh, you know, that, Speaking of Noah Fant, he had a, a really good game right before the Broncos went into the bye. Uh, he didn't have a ton of targets, but they were a decent percentage of the quarterback's uh, total there. So certainly something to consider. Or then you look at, you know, like a run of success too, like Jack Doyle. It's nothing that you're going to, you know, break the bank about or win your week, but he's had three plus catches in seven straight games and now caught a touchdown pass for the second game in a row from Brian Hoyer. So if Hoyer starts again next week, I, I know at least like Doyle's probably got a good chance to offer me a reasonable floor, whereas some of the guys like Fells, for instance, he's had a couple like one catch, two target games that that's almost like a zero in fantasy versus Doyle giving me a little more. So got to kind of look at the whole the whole field there and, and see what lines up the best or has the most pros in that column. Yeah, that makes sense. If we can expressly tie the upside of all these players to whether or not they score touchdowns, then at that point, you really do just want the guys who are going to get those simple targets and simple catches to kind of you know, buoy your week and prevent you from taking a zero while still having that, you know, potential touchdown upside. I like that call. Uh, a few, you know, deeper plays that I'm going to throw out there just for, you know, the real degenerates out there. Ben Watson is still only 2% owned. The Patriots are coming out of their bye. Maybe he continues to put up targets. He's been doing okay. It's been like four to six targets, I think, over the past couple weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Blake, Blake Jarwin for the Cowboys. I've been really impressed with, you know, the eye test with him. Like, you can tell it's him when he catches the ball because he is just so, so much faster than Jason Witten. Like, the athleticism <laughs> is incredible by comparison. That's, that's, that's an understatement. It, but but, but. It's, it's, like, not even fair. Like, I don't even know how, if he's actually that good of an athlete. It's just when you put these two things next to each other, I'm just blown away every time he touches the right. ball. So maybe it's it's crazy, but... He did have four targets to Witten's five in week 10. He had that touchdown two weeks ago. It seems like maybe he's starting to come on. I'm thinking maybe there's some potential here for, you know how Larry Fitzgerald fades down the stretch basically every season. Like yep. not, we should not be surprised if Jason Witten does the same thing in his first year out of retirement, right? So if that's going to happen, who's going to pick up those tight end targets? It's Blake Jarwin. Maybe there's something there. I'm really grasping at straws here, but no. I think that, that there might be some narrative uh, evidence behind you know what I'm seeing with my eyes. Uh, one other lower owned guy, although he's he's closing in on double digit percentages, but Tyler Eifert, you know, mm-hmm. uh, long ago fantasy fan, uh, he caught a touchdown this past week, had four targets, he had nine targets the week before Cincinnati's bye, but he does get to face a Raiders team this coming weekend who's allowed seven touchdowns to tight ends this year, which was the second most in the league uh, prior to the conclusion of week 10. Yeah, I like the eye for call. He's another one kind of like Kyle Rudolph, who once he starts scoring touchdowns, people are going to be, oh, we forgot about Tyler Eifert. But um, last guy I want to throw out, Ben Broniker of the Bears. Uh, Adam Shaheen was a healthy scratch in week 10, or at least seemingly a healthy scratch. Uh, And there was a calf injury to Trey Burton in that week 10 game. Broniker is the next guy in line there for the Bears at tight end. Uh, And he's owned literally nowhere. He has the 0% ownership on (laughs) Yahoo. So don't say I never gave you someone who wasn't available in your league, Mr. Degenerate, because Broniker's out there. 
I'm sure somebody has him owned in their league. That Ben Broniker's like brother right now is in a league and is always <laughs> rostered as brother and is listening to this podcast just, you know, cursing the heavens for you to say that. Well, I really appreciate that Steve Broniker listens to this podcast. <laughs> that's that's important to me. I take that to heart. Uh yes. let's talk defense and special teams here, Alex. There aren't a whole lot of great streaming options, I feel like, when you look at these teams that are under 50% ownership. And I, I do like to start in this section with some slightly higher-owned teams because defense is so weird. Like, sometimes the strangest teams are available when they shouldn't be just based upon bye weeks or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think the three teams that stand out to me as likely owned, but you might as well look for them first, are the Panthers because their defense is legit good and they're playing against Atlanta. Uh, yep. Jacksonville at Indianapolis because Brian Hoyer might still be under center there. And then the Dallas Cowboys at Detroit, uh, the Cowboys are 44% owned. They're the one of these three teams that makes it under 50%. I think we can all, we can both agree that the Panthers are the best of those three, but between Jacksonville at Indy and Dallas at Detroit, do you have a preference there? Uh, I think I'd probably go with, uh, with Dallas at Detroit. Um, at least on the road, uh, both teams are on the road, but Dallas plays in a dome as well. Their pass rush, I think has been really good. Might be able to get to, uh, to Driscoll in that front. And then there, they could be a team that's, you know, smarting for lack of a better term after their loss at home to the Vikings and kind of unleashes hell on, on poor Driscoll and the Lions. So I think I'd favor them just to touch over the, over the Jags. But do you agree that the Panthers are the top of that food chain? I I guess I should have let you actually answer that. (laughs) No, no, I think you generally want to favor home teams and the Panthers defense has played quite well. I know they got a little banged up um, against the Packers uh, in the secondary and things. So I just keep an eye on those injuries, but uh, they, they probably still, what we are hoping for there are some, some sacks and maybe turnovers. So would probably like the Panthers the most out of those situations from the lower ownership ranks. Do any defensive streamers stand out to you? Uh, I think the Oakland Raiders are certainly a team to circle in terms of that low ownership percentage. They are currently owned at only 3% of uh, Yahoo Fantasy Leagues, but they're at home against the Bengals. Uh, The Bengals' offensive line has been a complete mess, and we saw on Thursday night that Raiders' pass rush against a injury-rattled Chargers front just was basically living in the backfield and terrorizing Phillip Rivers. So I think even though the Raiders have their weaknesses in the secondary and maybe A.J. Green comes back, who knows, at home, being able to probably score points against the Bengals, get a lead, force them into a pass-heavy game script. It's the perfect kind of recipe for a low-owned streaming team that you, you like to circle in fantasy. Yep, they were the top of my list in terms of the teams that were under like 25% ownership. I think that that's the best matchup that you're looking at there. I don't love the Raiders' defense you know, from a scheme or talent perspective, though, so I wouldn't blame you for trying to go for one of those higher ownership defenses if they're out, out there first. Um, a f- few other teams that stand out to me, maybe if you're – trying to make some supplemental bids or or claims uh, on the chance that maybe you miss out on the Raiders or the best defense available. The Jets and the Redskins play each other, and I think you can use both of those defenses because both of those uh, offenses have been a little turnover prone. And then the only other team that I... I really cringe to say it, but I might be willing to use the Dolphins. They're at home against Josh Allen and the Bills, and that hasn't been a... A perfect matchup like I used Cleveland's defense against the Bills last week and I think they held them to like 16 or 17 points but really didn't do much from a fantasy perspective so maybe I'm crazy trying to target Josh Allen with the Dolphins of all teams but I think there might be something there if you're truly truly desperate yeah if you're really desperate maybe but I'd I'd much rather take the Jets on the road I think uh the performance they had this last week and against an offense like, like the Redskins that doesn't offer a ton of threats. I think the Jets have enough playmakers where they can probably harass Dwayne Haskins and, and get some turnovers and some sacks there. 
I'd, I'd rather go with the Jets or even the Redskins against Sam Darnold, who has made quite a few boneheaded plays this this year, uh, rather than the Dolphins. All right, Alex, let's wind it down with some droppable players. Who are you cutting to make all these pickups that we've talked about? <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's getting down to the wire because, uh, so, as you mentioned kind of earlier, some of these pickups, like with Darius Slayton, it's, it's rare to get a chance to have um, a player that's that good off of uh, the waiver wire that you might want to cut loose. But I think it's it's getting to the point where some of these, uh, you know, if you have a running back that's not really producing a lot, like a guy like Kalen Balaj, I know he's in some waiver wire columns to pick up, but like, what is he doing on your roster? He touched the ball like 24 times this weekend, had 45 yards. His upside is incredibly limited. I'd almost rather have a, a backup running back than him at this point. And then, uh, you know, if you're still hanging on to some of the, the tertiary options in, in some of these lesser passing attacks, like a guy like Danny Amendola, who I know every once in a while pops up for a big game, and then people pick him up for the Lions, and then they drop him again. It's just, I think, looking looking at those guys, you really want to get rid of the guys that are just mediocre producers and, and trade them in for high upside at this point of the year. Yeah, this is the time where you need to start prepping for the playoffs, and that could include picking up extra defenses. Like, I would never recommend you own two defenses in Week 2, but here in Week 11, uh, if you're starting to look ahead to those matchups in the playoffs and, and you think your team is going to make the playoffs, I think that that can make sense. Yep. And like you said, going after those high upside handcuffs. Although, on that note, uh, looking at the Rams' backfield and looking at you know that horrendous offensive line situation that they're in, I think I'm okay cutting bait on both Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown because – they kill each other's value when they're both healthy. Yeah, the return of Malcolm Brown, that's a good point, really, really sunk that one. I had actually just cut bait with uh, one or both of them in a couple leagues uh, not too long ago as well. So it's a good point, to, good, point, good point to bring that one back up. Well, Alex, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, why don't you let everyone listening know where they can find you on social media and tell them a little bit about what you're working on at 444. Yeah, of course. So you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gelhar. That's the best way and where I post all of my fantasy content and, uh, you know, things of that nature, some stats, some nuggets I'm finding in reactions to games and other things like movies and whatnot. And then at 444, I write the uh, Waiver Wire Watch, which comes out Monday every week. And then Traders Alley uh, comes out every Wednesday until that uh, trade deadline hits, which is coming up soon. So be sure to follow for that article to uh, make sure you get some insight on some buy low, sell high candidates or guys you want to keep just in case uh, you were feeling the itch to trade them. I always have some hold recommendations as well and you can also find links to alex's work in the show notes of this episode so check that out uh, if you don't feel like following alex but you should do that as well uh alex thanks again for coming on uh listeners if you want to follow me on twitter you can do that at greg sauce i will be back again next week to do this all over again with a, another amazing guest so until then thank you for listening to the most accurate podcast nights like this the bright lights, it's just like this And I'm on